Welcome to Energy Voice Out Loud, where we're leading the global energy conversation today from the second day of the show floor at Offshore Europe in Aberdeen. I'm Andrew Dykes, content editor here at Energy Voice, and today I'm joined by David McEwing, who's the co-head of energy practice at Adelshaw Goddard. Uh, I know you've been in a few different events so far. David, you were at breakfast this morning. You know, what, are, what are we seeing there? What's the, the top line? Well, I mean, one good thing today is that within our table alone, we were joined by other international colleagues. So we had colleagues flying in from Houston, from Stavanger, who are firmly interested in the oil and gas space, but also massively interested in the change to energy transition. So we had the, the good thing there was we had the perspectives of both Houstonians and Norwegians who come from very different perspectives along with the, the UK element as well. Um, also, I thought what was really interesting was the panel discussion afterwards. The economic report was fascinating in, in itself. And it bring, you know, we have 100 billion pounds of effectively unlocked investments that are waiting for could be regulatory consent or FID approvals from their various corporate institutions. So that's fascinating stat in itself and also overlaid with the contribution of oil and gas as was to the UK economy and the job figures that are reliant upon that. And so that's, that was really interesting in itself and we don't want to lose that. Um, so some of the themes on the panel discussion was very interesting. It's, it's also interesting that we have really strong corporate blue chip organizations that are on that panel. We have Deloitte, we have BP, uh, we have uh, Amjad from Enquest, and um, I mean that is fast, and also Ross Dornan from OE UK to overlay it. So their perspectives help shape our thinking and the challenges. Um, we couldn't get away from the discussion with the EPL, the windfall tax, and the significant effect that that's had on investment in, into the basin. Um, one thing I did find very interesting as well is that there was a clear theme of, we've got to actually have an honest, factual conversation about the realities of the energy, energy transition, how long it's taking, the requirements for the energy supply to carry on for decades to come. Um, and we need to, that needs to frame the discussion. And I think there was a clear sentiment in the room that this whole industry, the energy industry, oil and gas, actually needs to speak up. We need to, and the phrase used was collectively speak up. We as a unit, as a whole industry, must collectively speak up. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, and as a lawyers involved in corporate finance, I think that overlays the challenges that we have at all levels with all clients of getting access to finance. Um, so on the one hand, you've got, we need new tech coming in and to be supported, it could be at venture capital level, but, and there are limits within the UK to that uh, because you can only get so much from uh, government bodies like Scottish National Investment Bank, Scottish Enterprise, you then need to have a bit of risk appetite from other investors, whether it's trade in the UK uh, or whether it's foreign investors. So historically, we've had a lot of investment in the basin from the Middle East and the States. So if we can actually pull together some of that risk appetite that we really need 
to supercharge. Yeah, I've heard of that as well on the supply chain, where companies are kind of saying that you know they want to turbocharge us, they want to become exporters and things, but they don't see necessarily that risk appetite in the way that you see it in sort of U.S. venture capital, for example. And they'd like a piece of that, I think. Agreed. I mean, if you could have a, a bold investor who's saying, I'll take a bet on this. Yeah. I, will, I will invest in 10 companies that I expect one to be a supercharged, an angel, uh, you know, this is one that's going to make me a lot of money. And, and, we, and we do have a huge advantage here. We've got massively talented technicians who were who are attracted by the oil and gas industry over the last 50 years. Uh, they're here. We've got the facilities here to take this forward. I mean, that's brilliant. That were a fantastic start for us to attract innovators, but we need to attract innovators and we need to have cash. Bottom line, we need cash and we need it and time. We need time as well so that, that cash can be invested and utilized and then applied to different industries. And I think that was another key part of the theme today is that this is going to take time. And running alongside that, you will have the cash that's generated from traditional hydrocarbon production and that's overlaid with decarbonizing that production as well. So you mentioned you were joined by colleagues from kind of, uh, not, not two sides of the pond, I suppose, <laughs> North Sea Pond and the, the Atlantic, but you know, what are their perceptions on, on what we're doing right and or perhaps what we're not doing right? We've got you know, the Inflation Reduction Act in the US, which I think is a game changer, and we don't necessarily have anything comparable to that here. So I wondered- Really, really good question, because the IRA is known in the end. I mean, that's over 400 billion US. And that's just a fraction of the amount they think they'll need to really push, kickstart. So the big players that were being mentioned were the Inflation Reduction Act, the money's coming out of Brussels and China. And we can't, yes, we are investing, but we're not nearly at the same level of the billions that are being put in back from there. Um, that was a really good comment from one of the colleagues at Houston. He said, the market will rule. It's a global commercial market and that will rule. So watch out, we need to be competitive, attractive. And that was certainly touched on as well by those presenting. So it's very interesting. From Norway, it's a, perhaps a different dynamic, but they're, they're increasing production. They invested during COVID, they gave tax breaks during COVID to oil and gas companies. And they are now the largest producer of gas in Europe. And they're also ahead of the game on electrification. You know, they kind of maybe saw that 10, 15 years ago to, to get ahead of it. And, and we're playing catch up a little bit. And on they that. want to electrify the whole of the oil and gas industry in, in Norway. Um, and I mean, other, the other thing about Norway as well is they're a massive exporter of electricity to the continent and to UK as well as gas. So they, they're not, they have their challenges with under investment, but actually, when we were discussing, well, you don't really have the same challenges that we have because you've got a very vibrant development economy there that we don't currently have because there's the angst over Rosebank or other fields. Um, and the fiscal instability is a big problem for investment here uh, at all levels, whether it's oil companies, supply chain, or those that rely on those oil companies funding projects going forward. Uh, I know another thing uh, that Adelshaw has been working a lot is, is kind of ESG, and specifically around corporate finance. So how, how does that play into this? You know? Yeah, again, my, this is one point I think that the industry doesn't overstate enough. 
because if you want true access to, it's more Western capital rather than the Middle East perhaps. If you're a large corporate or a small corporate, it doesn't matter. You need to have a proper ESG plan. With large corporates, you're gonna have even more financial reporting relating to that. Um, and if you don't do that, you're not getting the debt funds, you're not getting the debt backing. So there is a real challenge to get debt backers backing energy that has an oil and gas slant. If you don't properly balance that with your commitments under ESG, ESG, you've got to be careful because it's bandied about. It but what does it mean? Yeah. And, and I always start from the G. I start from governance. You start, you start properly governing your business, have the proper controls in place, comply with laws, and then you're looking at, well, really, what is the social impact, environmental impact from what we do? Are we meeting all our lawful requirements? Yes, but are you doing more? And are you looking forward 10 years to what the environmental impact is? And that is really difficult for a board and companies because we're shaping the standards. And then you'll probably see in the next five, 10 years, more shaping of it coming through annual reports of companies. You start with large, but the whole supply chain from top down needs to pay attention to that. And for good reason, because that will be reflected in getting access to debt and equity finance and getting better rates, getting preferable interest rates, you know, bonds that are linked to environmental bonds. And if we do that, I think that could unlock huge amounts of capital that then feeds into the, you've touched on the 100 billion opportunity that then, um, so that is a key one for us. And watch this space on that one. It's interesting because yeah, we're, we're here to talk about accelerating the energy transition for the event, but you know, there's all these other structures around energy and what we do that also are transitioning and kind of are finding their way with what the best solution for this is. So it's not just molecules and electrons, there's, there's paperwork and spreadsheets and Agreed. all of this. Agreed, of yeah, because if you don't have the forecasts and spreadsheets and the diligence on your ESG credentials, you're not getting the money. But if you do it, you can unlock things. So that's, I think that's, it's against the hard work that goes into all these things and all the different layers. And if you do it properly, Hey, 100 billion, that's a good number for investment in the basin. One thing though, I don't, we should not be, we are, we are based in Aberdeen, this is an international show, and we should never ever lose sight of the ability to export our talents. We're in the same time zone as West Africa, you know, things that we could be doing with decarbonizing um, oil and gas production in, in Africa, who want to get the revenues from oil and gas production so we can do that. Middle East is really interesting. And I think there's probably another flow of capital, both from UK and from Middle East. So the, the backwards and forwards there. You've got to be optimistic as well. Yeah, so. well, we're here in Aberdeen today, but we're <laughs> thoroughly looking outwards and hopefully with a good story to tell. Um, thanks for joining us, David. Uh, so join us again for more podcast live from the show floor here at Offshore Europe. Uh, I've been Andrew Dykes. Uh, thanks again to David for joining us and uh, tune in for more updates from us. Out Loud is the podcast from Energy Voice, leading the global energy conversation. Bookmark and subscribe to energyvoice.com, sign up to our newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for expert analysis and insight right across the energy sector.
Subscribe to Out Loud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do encourage colleagues and friends to listen to Out Loud too. If you've enjoyed it, leaving a rating or review, especially on Apple Podcasts, helps others discover it too. Thank you.